meaning well-spoken. And this, it is well-spoken. I think if we were to, each of us, look at, at the motivation that would inspire us to undertake a, a spiritual life, a life in meditation, whatever form that might take, however we, however we might hold that in our hearts and minds, each of us individually. But if we look beneath our own personal stories, I think we would all find in some way, at some point, there's a connection to a sense of, um, some sense of dissatisfaction or a lack of ease. Some connection to a feeling that things just are not quite right in our lives in the world. You could, you could say a connection to stress or suffering in our lives, seeing this personally in our own lives, seeing how it uh, manifests in the world. Connection to that, that, that leads us to look for some, some sort of answer or understanding of, of this, the human condition in relation to that. And I think if, if this weren't true on some level, there wouldn't be a lasting energy for our practice in some ways. If it were merely a motivation of, of curiosity, for example. And this quality of curiosity is, is really important, essential on the path, on any path, this desire to know, to understand. But in and of itself, it may not be enough to uh, sustain us in the long haul. It only goes so far as a kind of inspiration. And, and I think for this sense of dis-ease or um, this lack of satisfaction, for that to really serve as to lead us, to really serve us uh, and really lead us to a genuine spiritual search, to lead us to a search that goes to any real depth. There's a way that we need to really touch the the depth and the breadth of that, of the insecurity that underlies that stress or suffering that we might encounter. And so we need a meaningful relationship to dukkha, to what is called dukkha in Pali, familiar term to all of you I know. You don't spend any time around places like this uh, without hearing dukkha a lot, right? But I think sometimes we can fall into a somewhat superficial relationship uh, to this word. I'll start out tonight by talking about it a little bit. Because we can think of dukkha as just pointing to unpleasant sensations in mind and body, difficulty in that way. 
But fundamentally, this quality of dukkha, it points to the fact that in inherently, in and of its, by its very nature, this life in this conditioned realm, life in samsara, you might say, it's, it's inherently, fundamentally flawed <laughs> a bit. All right? It's just can't ever be quite right. It can't be made right. And it's, it's just, you know, it's not always, it just points to the fact that it's not always smooth sailing. It's not that, it's not the, a pessimistic view of, that, that sometimes is ascribed to Buddhism, life is suffering, right? A misunderstanding of this teaching, a misunderstanding of the teaching of the Four Noble Truths, the First Noble Truth the noble truth of suffering does not, it's not a statement, life is suffering, but one hears this sometimes in the world. It's not that, that's superficial. And of course we have good times, happy times. It's not like it's all a complete drag all the time, right? We have up and downs. But a practical, you could say, assessment of this human condition points to this this unevenness, this, um, I I think Joseph, I heard Joseph Goldstein give a a definition of dukkha as being in two parts, do being, um, I don't know which part is which, but having to do with the hole in a wheel and an axle and the do and the ka, I mean, one or the other of those. And and it's, it's, but it's an axle that doesn't fit quite right. It's It's a badly fitting one. It's like an old ox cart. I, th- I think the image is where it's a bumpy ride. It doesn't fit well. So it's a, a square axle in a round hole or something like this. Or we get a bumpy ride, right? It's up and down. It has that quality. And this is just the nature of this conditioned life, isn't it? We all get that bumpy ride. But suffering in relationship to that is another thing altogether. And so we can understand dukkha on the level of just painful experience, difficult experience, experience associated with bodily life and the process of, of aging and illness and, and uh, all of the things that happen to us if we live in a body and difficulties, turmoils of mind, dukkha in that way. And then there's this more subtle understanding, this quality of insecurity or unreliability, whether that's an intrinsic part of everything, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. So this is an important thing is that pleasant experience also has, is imbued with this quality of dukkha because it's, it's not secure, it doesn't last. It's a definition, a dictionary from the Buddhist dictionary, a definition of dukkha speaks to this. The term dukkha is not limited to painful experience, but refers to the unsatisfactory nature and the general insecurity of all conditioned phenomena, which on account of their impermanent nature are all liable to suffering. And this includes also pleasurable experience. Hence, unsatisfactoriness or unreliability or liability to suffering would be a better translation or a good translation of this. 
So this, on this level, this quality of dukkha, it points to this inner, a kind of inner uh, anxiety or um, unsteadiness that is the result of the constant change of things. Pleasant experiences don't last. Things don't stay the way we want them to. Things fall away. They fall apart. Everything is changing. It pervades all of life. You know, and somehow, I think we get conditioned. Maybe it's, it's out of our culture and a lot of the, the things we see in media. Somehow we get, there's this conditioning that leads us to think that somehow we're supposed to be able to get it all right so that it's always how we like it. And that somehow if we can't, it's, it's our fault. We're not trying hard enough or we're not doing it. There's, we're missing something, you know, as though, as though it were possible, as though, as though life could somehow be like one of those, like a TV commercial where everyone is, they're beautiful and they're having a really good time. And it's supposed to somehow, as though it's supposed to be like that. <laughs> as though that were a possibility. But, you know, we're going to all, the deal when we take birth in this realm is we get the range of pleasure and pain and joy and sorrow and happiness and sadness and all of these these worldly conditions, the 10,000 joys, the 10,000 sorrows, sometimes it's spoken about in that way. That's what we get, Right? We get the whole deal. That's part of the, of what this is. You know, and it's we think it's I think it's bad news or a mistake, and you know, secretly we're holding out some hope that we're going to find the key. Maybe through our meditation, that's going to get it to where it's always pleasant and always the way we like it. Right? No, we none of us would admit that if anyone asked us, but, but sometimes I think we secretly are holding out a little hope, <laughs> you know, as though, okay, maybe that's what enlightenment means. It's only pleasant all the time. You know, secretly we're kind of hoping that's the deal we're signing up for here. But you know, the Buddha had bad days and backaches and had to deal with people he would really have preferred not to have to deal with. But there were, but suffering in relation to all of that was not there. And so, you know, we're not going to be able to to get it to where it's always and only the way we like it. That's not possible. And so we, we really have to open to this truth. You know, this is really, the reason it's the first noble truth is, is it's really opening this, the truth of this, really opening to that fully is where we start. It's where the Buddha started. And this is the beginning point of our practice because until we really open to this truth, we're always gonna be looking to, for a way out or for a way around it. We'll be turning to, to that which is by its very nature incapable of providing a lasting, satisfactory happiness. We'll be turning to that which is not reliable. But opening to dukkha will lead us to turn towards something which might actually be a reliable source of 
of real, true happiness, of peace. Ajahn Chah put it this way. In Dhamma practice, we begin with the truth of dukkha, the pervasive unsatisfactoriness of existence. But as soon as we experience this, we lose heart. We don't want to look at it. Dukkha is really the truth, but we want to get around it somehow. Dukkha is a noble truth. If we allow ourselves to face it, then we will start to seek a way out of it. If we are trying to go somewhere and the road is blocked, we will think about how to make a pathway. So there's a core teaching that the Buddha, um, it's said that it's, it's one of the understandings that came to him on the night of his enlightenment, the night of his awakening, through the three watches of the night. One of the, the understandings that came to him then is the teaching on dependent origination dependent co-arising, paticca samupada in Pali. One of those great Pali words, paticca samupada. They roll off the tongue so nicely. In Pali, if you, you just add another syllable when you want to extend the meaning of something. Ah, paticca samupada. And this, this teaching it's, it's a chain of, of causal links, which I'm not really gonna, I'm not going into tonight. But it's, it shows how through it, with, with ignorance as a causative factor, through this chain, we arrive at suffering. It's, a, it's an understanding, a very deep penetrative understanding of the, the law of cause and effect and how through ignorance leads to suffering in our lives in the world. There's another teaching that in a, it's kind of an extension or a following on from that uh, dependent origination. It's called transcendent dependent origination, familiar to many of you, I'm sure. And this teaching begins where the other one leaves off. It, it begins at dukkha and it extends then what happens with dukkha as a causative factor. And in this teaching, the opening to the understanding of dukkha is seen as the cause for the arising of faith or confidence, sadda in Pali. Dukkha seen as the as a leading to the arising of faith. And then there's another chain of causal links, faith, sadda, confidence, trust, leading to the arising of joy leading to the arising of, of rapture, of deep joy, spiritual joy, leading to tranquility, happiness, concentration, knowledge and vision of things as they are. This leading to disenchantment, to dispassion, to emancipation, and to knowledge of destruction of the taints, of the cankers, of the kilesas, right? So in this one, dukkha, leads right to liberation. And so opening to dukkha as this place of starting in terms of our practice leads then to this quality of confidence or faith. But we need something to have faith or confidence or trust in then. You know, we open to dukkha so that we see, well, there's, 
there's a problem here, something we have to do something about. And then hopefully we can encounter something that points to a possibility for an understanding that will lead us through these stages to peace, to freedom. Quite a few years ago, quite a long time ago now, one of my teachers asked me to name the one thing that I I thought was most important in, in our practice, you know, the one thing, pick one thing that would really be, you know, the most essential quality of mind, of heart, leading uh, to the unfolding of the path. And I remember at the time I said, well, I, I thought perseverance, you know, steadfastness, stick-to-itiveness, doggedness, some quality of, of keeping going. I thought that seemed like a good answer. You know, we're not going to get very far if we don't stick to it on anything we might tend, to, we might do. And then I asked a, a friend of mine, meditation teacher, the same question, and immediately, without thinking, she said, "Faith, the most important thing." I, I, I thought it was a trick question that I had not gotten, didn't get it right somehow. <laughs> at the time. You know, I didn't really, I didn't really, I was struck by that. It wasn't my first response at that time. But this quality of faith, and and the Pali word is sadha, and faith I know for some people is, points to something that, that this is, word does not point to. It's because it's not a faith that is a, a kind of belief in, it's not a belief. So confidence maybe or trust, but I'll use the word faith tonight. That's what I'm pointing to is, is a kind of um, inner strength of confidence. And this is a core issue, a core, a real fundamental core aspect of, of the practice and the path. Without this quality of faith, then, then no, no real effort, effort won't, won't really happen in our practice. We need some sense that it's worth doing, it's worth making effort, because it's not easy to keep going in this, on this path. The teacher, Sayada Utejaniya, he speaks about uh, faith in an interesting way in terms of what are called the five spiritual faculties. And this is a quotation from a, a teaching he gave in, in a book. He said, when there is faith or confidence, sadda, when there's confidence, effort will arise. When there is effort, virya, second of these five faculties, mindfulness will become continuous. When mindfulness, sati, a third of these, when mindfulness is continuous, concentration will become established. When concentration samadhi, fourth of these spiritual faculties, is established, one begins to see things as they really are. Seeing things, this is the wisdom, fifth of these spiritual faculties, panya, wisdom arises. When one starts to understand things as they really are, faith strengthens. And so on then, with the strengthening of faith, effort becomes more 
balanced and continuous and so on. There's a circular feeding around through these these um, spiritual powers or faculties. So we can see faith really essential in that flow. When I went to my very first meditation retreat quite a while ago, I, I, hadn't, I had never meditated before. Went to a 10-day retreat on the suggestion of a friend of mine who was meditating. And I said, I wanted to learn how to meditate. She said, well, here, sign up for this 10-day retreat. And uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. And, you know, I, literally, I hadn't meditated for even a second. And um, my friend made me promise to stay for three days because she thought I would probably run away. I think <laughs> she thought I was a good candidate to bolt out of there. And I did think about leaving every day, <laughs> not just once every day, but, you know, and the teachers, the teachers didn't look so much like my idea of what great spiritual masters might look like. They looked kind of like me. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> you know, no white robes or flowing beards or whatever I might have had in mind. And, But what they said made sense to me. They seemed to be actually telling me the truth. It resonated in that way. Every day, at least something resonated in the way that it felt like, oh, this is the, people are telling me the truth. And they, they were, the thing that I think got me the most was that it was, there was nothing I was supposed to adopt as a belief or a stance or a philosophy. It was just, check it out. See for yourself. This is the beauty of these teachings. It's summed up in the word ehipasiko. Come and see for yourself. Ehi, come. And that's, that the beauty of the teachings is just, check it out. See for yourself if there is value or benefit here, directly in your own experience. And so there was this sense of possibility that came from that time. And, and there was this confidence that the teachers had that, that I think I borrowed that every day. I borrowed a bit of that confidence, that faith that they seemed to have so strongly. And, and then by the end of that first retreat, I. I felt I had tasted some of that possibility very directly for myself. You know, it seemed like strong medicine, it seemed to work despite me, because I wasn't a model yogi um, by any means, but it just seemed to, something seemed to happen. Just, I don't know, it was like magic to me. And so there was this, this bright kind of faith there initially, yes, okay, this, I, could, I could do this. This is possible, you know, even for a shlemiel like me. It's the feeling there. And so there's this sense, oh, I can take the next step. Martin Luther King once said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. 
that was the sense. I had no idea of the trajectory of things, but this confidence that I could, I could take the next step. In the text, sometimes they have kind of technical dis, uh, uh, definitions of terms like faith. Um, faith is described as a confidence that allows us to enter into or set out to cross something. And there's an image there. It's, it's said to be the confidence that allows one to set out across a flooded area, to be able to cross a flood, to, to enter into new terrain, to enter into unexplored territory, which is really what we do every time we sit down. We think we know what's coming. And we do get familiar with the inner terrain of this mind and body and heart, but who knows? We don't know. It's said that faith should be regarded as a hand because it takes hold of profitable things, of useful, of good things. I like that image of faith as a hand that takes hold of that which is is helpful for us, profitable. And faith is likened to what's called a water clearing gem. They have this image in that time of the the Buddha in in that part of the world of, of there being a kind of gem that had this function, this ability to to purify water, to clarify and purify it, to settle out impurities. And you could see this quality of confidence or faith as, as purifying in, in the way that it, it helps us to see what matters. It helps us to, to uh, get our priorities in line and see what's, uh, what's worth doing. So we could see faith as a kind of energy, as an energetic quality of mind and heart that, that has this ability to seek out that which leads to freedom, clarifies what's important and meaningful in a life. It takes hold like that hand that takes hold of useful things. It takes hold of this energy and leads to effort, leads us to actually set forth on the path. And we could say that faith combines then uh, uh, this wholesome yearning for understanding, for freedom, for liberation, wholesome desire, this dhamma-chanda. It combines that with um, a quality of, of uh, with an aspiration, a determination that we, to fulfill that, with a trust that it's possible to actually set out on a journey like that that we could realize greater ease in our lives and, and find balance with the changes that are just an inherent part of life, the ups and downs that will come, some balance with that, ability to be with the good times and the joys and the happiness without demanding that they stay, letting them fall away when they change, without grasping at them, without falling into addictive patterns around that. And conversely, the ability to be with difficulties, with sorrows and, and that which isn't so easy without being crushed by that or falling into despair or, or a state of struggle, struggling with the truth of things. And so we see this, this yearning for freedom, 
this aspiration for liberation. We could see this as the, uh, the desire to be free of the habits of mind, habits of reactivity that lead to suffering, free of the defilements of mind, free of the, to be no longer under the sway of greed and hatred and delusion, confusion, all the ways that, that these root causes of suffering manifest. I think it's important for us to reflect on some quality of aspiration in, in this way in regard to this, this movement to freedom. Really to, to bring it into our minds and our hearts, not maybe so much as some kind of goal or a naming of, of, of a goal. You know, goals, they may change over time. But we can, we can reflect on it in terms of a, a direction that we're steering in, a course that we're setting sail, the compass heading. You know, we can hold an aspiration as a direction that we're, that we're aiming towards. So there's a dynamic aliveness where it's not so much a fixed goal of a journey, but, but a steering towards greater freedom, towards realization. And we see what leads in that direction and we, we make that our compass heading. We see what leads towards that. And we see what leads in the opposite direction. We steer away from that when we become aware of it. This quality of faith, you know, sometimes initially, like I was describing for myself, it may arise in relation to, to a teacher or perhaps we may read about or have heard about some inspiring figure brings quality of faith, points to this possibility. Think of someone like His Holiness, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who seems to serve as a source of inspiration to so many people, people who have no idea who he is, but there's something about him, about his being, that people find inspiring. Or someone else, maybe uh, Deepama, some of us may have heard about or read about. Great teacher, Deepaman. A very inspiring figure and we can, we can find uh, qualities of confidence, faith. This kind of bright faith that comes in relationship to people like this who they just inspire us so much. Point to this possibility. You know, these are real living beings here. Because some of the beings I meet and when I've traveled to Burma, you know, and it's for me, there's one monk in particular who's the happiest being I know. He's so light. And, you know, I'll travel all the way to Burma just to sit with him for a little while. Brings so much um, joy and, and real, and it, it, these things inspire us, bring faith. Because, you know, this is someone I know who I get to hang out with by some grace of God or some good deeds I did sometime in the past. And these people, these beings that we hear about or maybe we're lucky enough to meet and they point to 
the fact that, you know, that this, this path actually can be walked to some place of great depth, maybe to completion. You know, and the Buddha said, when he, he said, if this were not possible, I wouldn't ask you to do it. And, and figures like this point directly to that truth, to that possibility for us. We draw confidence from that because we, we get a sense tastes at times, oh, I'm walking on that same, I'm following the same path. Or at least I'm walking in the same direction. Maybe it's not the exact same route, but it's, it's going that way. And it strengthens this, this bright faith that we may begin with. But then, then we have to do the practice, right? We have to actually slog it out and it's not easy and so we have to find find a deeper source of strength I was thinking about my this first retreat I remember how oh, I was so high after that I just thought yes and then it started to wear off oh man that was not easy what happened what did I do wrong so I wanted to get back on retreat as soon as possible to get it back. You know, as though, as though that were the point, as though there were something to get back in that way. And then, and then it wasn't so easy, it wasn't so sweet. It was hard work and a lot of doubt coming up and oh, it's too hard and I can't do it. And you know, I, it was fake somehow or you know, this initial, this bright kind of faith that may come like that, it's, it's tender. It's not sustaining in the long run. You know, we borrow others' faith, we get this bright faith, but it can get swept away. And so we need a more mature, deeper sense of trust, confidence that, to continue. And this, this unfolds as we, if we can stick with it, if we have enough to keep going. I know for myself, it just didn't take very much keep me going. You know, and we can see this, the need for this kind of, of more mature, deeper kind of faith in terms of, of the hindrance of doubt, which is something that, that we all have to uh, work with over the years, isn't it? You know, it's gonna come up times, you know, and we're sitting there and just like, what does this have to do with anything? What does watching my breath have to do with liberation? You know, this quality of confidence, it's an antidote to this. We find it in different ways, reflecting on inspiring beings we may have heard of or know, reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha, because we're going to run up against it, you know. And, and you think of the, the Buddha on the night of his enlightenment. You know, he was, he was a pretty good yogi. And he's assailed by the armies of Mara there, all these things. Torments and awfulness and then seductions. And finally, the last thing, Mara used up everything, doubt, the last thing. Who do you think you are? 
What gives you the right to sit there and say, I won't get up? To make that kind of, of uh, determination. Let my bones, sinews, blood, let it dry up. And, and the Buddha just touched the earth to bear witness. So this, this doubt, it will come, you know, at times, whether we're fairly new to practice or we've been at it for 30 years. There are times when, when it will assail us. But this, our willingness to open to the moment, to the truth of the moment, to really just directly touch this is how it is right now. Let me be with this. This begins to really strengthen this quality of faith, of confidence, willingness to be with the truth of things. We take our stand on reality and this begins to strengthen this quality of, of trust. It leads to surrendering to the truth of the moment, really opens the heart to a deeper kind of confidence or trust. And we find a strength that, that allows us to not be perfect and to stay steady anyway. And this, I think for myself, I think this is one of the greatest gifts of the practice over the years is the willingness to not be perfect, to not do it perfectly, to allow that for myself, a huge gift. And we find this confidence that, you know, we can't actually, we cannot ever really totally blow it in this practice. Because we always can start again in any moment. That's all we are doing all the time anyway. So no matter what, right now, we can start again. We, get, we start to really taste the truth of that and our confidence grows. There's a beautiful line out of a poem called uh, Verses on the Faith Mind. It's by the third Zen patriarch. He said, to live in the highest realization is to live without anxiety about non-perfection. To live without anxiety about non-perfection. To me, this points to a couple of of things. It points to a deep acceptance of the inherently imperfect, unreliable, flawed nature of conditioned existence of samsara. And it points to a confidence where we allow ourselves to be who we are in the moment and to not take, take everything so personally. We don't have to, to try to fix ourselves or fix reality or fix life or try to control it to be any particular way. So we start through this opening, we start to touch a more mature faith, a mature bright faith. It can arise at times of difficulty and challenge in our lives. It's one of the times this, we start to find this, 
when we we get through something that's really hard and you know we we can think of ways you know i think of i just remember my first long retreat when one of the teachers suggested to to resolve to sit without moving for an hour big deal right but i didn't think i was going to make it when i did that i couldn't move my resolve was so powerful but i thought i was i just thought i'm going to die here you know the combination of physical and psychological dukkha was so intense ring the bell ring the bell oh <laughs> But then when the bell rang, I didn't move. You know, it's just, I could. <laughs> that was what I needed. But I just remember, I thought if I could live through that, I could take anything. <laughs> I just remember how, how much confidence and strength came from just something as simple as that. Or, you know, we all have stories about things. I remember my first long retreat in Burma, and I was pushed beyond what I thought I could what I thought possible in terms of effort and tiredness and yeah you know but we get through these things we find oh I can't take it we find oh I can take it actually can it's good to reflect on times where we we find oh I'm I'm actually I'm stronger than I think I am You know, we, we can develop faith. We can, one way is to look at, at our relationship to the whole realm of our, our mental world of thoughts and thinking and all that goes on there. You know, and we, we start to see the, the uncro- uncontrollability of that whole world and how these things arise. We didn't ask, we don't choose that. You know, we're minding our own business and this stuff that comes, whatever it might be. And we we start to see that, you know, that whole world, we don't have to inhabit that, take it as, as, as reality, live in the universe that gets created there. We start to see that it's, it's just this empty phenomena. It's just the just nature. It's just mental energy. This effervescence of conditions and causes coming, going. We see this fleeting nature of that mental world. We don't if we don't identify with these things, and they just come and go. We don't have to struggle with them. We don't have to believe in them. Buy into that. And so we start to discover this, this stronger, more mature, more verified faith where we see for ourselves in our own experience that, that this practice is actually is leading to greater ease and freedom in our lives. We start to touch that in some way. You know, and, and things that we've heard, teachings that we've heard, they move from the realm of, of what's theoretical to something that we see, oh, that actually has practi- it has practical application. And this is just something that we start to notice has happened. 
starts to have, we see that it's happening, it's happened on its own, you know. It, it might come in a, in a deceptively simple way, you know. We, we hear over and over and over again teachings on impermanence, right? But all things are impermanent, or that which is subject to arising is subject to passing away. We hear this a gazillion times, and then we start to see that there's some way that there's a deep understanding of that. That's not something we figured out. It's not because we decided to believe in it or adopt it as our philosophy. But we start to see that it's actually informing how we live. It's actually permeating our existence in a in a way that's subtle but profound and transforming. And we see that, that, you know, if we try to hold on to that which is changing, that we're just setting ourselves up for suffering. And that if we just sit with the truth of this, with the truth of impermanence and change, we see that a lot of struggle and fight with that, it starts to fall away. And that, that there's this connection to a, a deep understanding of that on a pre-verbal, cellular kind of level almost, starts to inform our lives. And the rhythms of change, the rhythms of nature, we see, oh, that's just, that's in there in a way that it's just as, it's informing our very being and the depths of our being. It's in there. We see that actually there is wisdom. Wisdom ha- it does arise. Understanding does come. You know, and, and so we have this more verified kind of faith and we start to live more from that place. And we start to um, find a faith, a trust in the quality of awareness itself and the knowing mind. We see that awareness can hold anything that arises, that awareness is not affected by that, that arising and passing, that flow of change, that it can hold anything start to see that the awareness of fear is not afraid. The awareness of anger is not angry. We touch that purity of that, knowing. We start to touch a truth that was there all along because the truth is always the truth. There's an inner wisdom that's always been there. Start to touch that place inside in in the heart that knows the truth because we're swimming in it all the time. We start to trust that, and this points to a this 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 is pointing towards a, a real unshakable kind of faith or confidence. There's nothing that arises internally or externally that can really shake that. And, and there's an understanding, you know, it's, it's maybe it's a long path. 
but our confidence in the, in the onward leadingness of the practice in the trajectory of things is strong. A deep abiding sense of that. Oh, and we, we see, of course, these habits of mind and heart, they die hard. And it is, it's, a, it's a big project, right? But our, we have this faith and confidence that we're moving in that direction, that, that that momentum is powerful and strong. And, and that this untangling is happening, will happen, does happen, it's an organic process that results from our willingness to show up and be there with the truth of things. And we start to really touch into this possibility of a deep balance of mind and heart in the direction of, of our highest kind of aspiration, this possibility of the deepest peace. So I'll end tonight with a uh, a couple of short quotations from Ajahn Chah. He has such a beautiful way, simple way of saying things. Do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. Do not become enlightened. When you sit, let it be. When you walk, let it be. Grasp at nothing, resist nothing. You will reach a point where the heart tells itself what to do. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful rare animals will come to drink at the pool and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. The Buddha taught us to lay down those things that lack a real abiding essence. If you lay everything down, you will see the truth. If you don't, you won't. That's just the way it is. And when wisdom awakens within you, you will see the truth wherever you look. Truth is all you'll see. We'll have another moment of, uh, or a moment of silence uh, together, and then do we chant the sharing of blessings? Is that still the, that's the thing, good. <laughs> Let's take just a moment and then we'll, we'll do the, chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. learned this chant a long time ago and where I learned it there was a, a one-line intro. <laughs> well, that's my way of doing it. So I'll Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.